Good evening, everyone. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to fall short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, and he's quoting from Psalms 95, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the word, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. And again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, And David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. That's actually Joshua there in verse 8. I'll explain that later. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, or to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither, neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heavens, into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's please stand and pray over this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that every question... um, that might enter into our hearts theologically or just got a question of salvation. God, it's all there. Well, it's all here in your in your word. And I do pray, Father, that this evening we would be able to set aside all the distractions. 
we would set aside anything that would uh, cause us not to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord, whether it's individually or collectively as a body, we just pray, God, that you would bring us to the throne of grace where we can hear and we can receive and we can be changed. God, we need your help. And again, we ask and invite the Holy Spirit to come and instruct us. So again, we lift up our hearts and minds to you asking for that anointing set apart just for such a time as this. We love you so much, Lord. And we just yield our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen. Thank you. Again, not to go into a, a real long introduction. Uh, we we kind of do that every week uh, before a study. Um, but it's so important that we know rhyme and reason why um, the book of uh, Hebrews was written. And again, please keep in mind that this was written to um, Jewish believers um, struggling immensely with their faith. Um, I can't. I, I I can't imagine. Um, not, I haven't grown. I wasn't raised in a, a religious home of any sort, but. And just imagine somebody, you know, born and raised in a, let's just say a denominational kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, they're introduced to the gospel and they just get saved. They just know it's the truth. And, and then as they begin to grow and they're nurtured in Christ, then all of a sudden they realize everything they have learned. Maybe not everything. I shouldn't be so, um, you know dramatic i guess but um most of the stuff most of the, what they've learned over their lives is wrong and and now they have to redo they have to redo it they have to undo a lot of stuff in their minds in their hearts because they just it's apple and oranges man there's no way to get around around that and i i don't always see that as something joyful i see that as a struggle in the lives of people who have been raised in uh, even convictions, certain convictions. You know, it's one thing being brought out of a cult, and then you read the Bible and you think, okay, yeah, this is a no-brainer. But to have an element of truth to it, but yet be so wrong, I can't imagine the struggle. And so, never never point to someone's um, convictions and try to prove it. Just point them to Christ. The Lord will sort that all out. Amen, guys? How many of us really was raised in a denominational setting? Would you raise? Yeah, a lot of us were, you know, and then then you come to an awareness of who Christ is. The Bible becomes, as we read uh, just a little bit ago, uh, sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's a, a, a quick meaning gets alive. It's powerful. That word power is not exousian. It's not dunamis, where we get authority. It's something totally duff. It means energy. You begin to read it and then you become energetic in a way and you want to know the truth right truth such a free arrow keep you in bondage but um still i can't imagine the struggle that some people go through so don't don't try to 
sort out someone's conviction. Unless you're being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. I should say that. If you're led by the Lord, please do that. But, you know, for most part, um, when we attack someone else's um, conviction or the way they were raised, it's 90% out of pride. We just want to prove something. God sets a man free. Um, Amen. I'm just saying be careful with God's lambs. Be careful with his sheep. So we're in chapter 4 here, and there are some very sobering verses here. Um, But again, if you keep the context of why this thing was written, it kind of all makes sense. Verse 1 says, let us therefore, notice the word, let us therefore fear, you know, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. And, and again, God's promises um, uh, stands you, no matter what. You know, it's uh, something that is a, a sure foundation when it comes to the promises of God. But the warning here is that you should, uh, um, well, they should because of some of the things they're falling back into, uh, falling back into Judaism They're saying, you know, you should, um, I don't want to use the word fear, but it means fear. It means trembling, actually. The literal interpretation means to tremble or you'll fall short of this rest. Now, um, God does provide a rest for everyone. And, and, and. Um, I, you know, it's almost like an oxymoron. He wants you to experience this rest. He wants you to experience this peace. And yet, on the other, but, and you need to fear that you don't fall short of this. You know, that, so there is a godly soberness, I guess, a godly fear, a godly awareness. And I don't think it's just being applied to um, um, Jewish Christians, I think it can be applicable to anyone. You know, you start off, that's what the book of Galatians is all about. You know, but Paul's fear. You began in the spirit, now you're going to try to work it out in the flesh. And if you read that, it literally means, God forbid. You know, perish that thought. We start with grace, it should end in what? Grace. From faith to faith. That's what Paul says in the book of, of Romans. So the, what the enemy would like to do is to try to lure us into a works mentality, trying to earn a peace, trying to earn a sense of grace. And you can't, you can't earn that. That is just God's la- love that he wants to bestow upon you. And don't think for one moment that you're exempt from that. I don't care how old you are in the Lord. I have talked to men who, you know, almost reared me up in the whole gospel of grace and now I listen to their message and it's just saturated with a kind of works mentality and nine times out of ten it's because of a selfish ambition they want something to grow or they want something to change so they gravitate we can do this by things that we teach and preach okay so um, for them because they had entered into a into rest now it's being compromised because they want to go back into Judaism. What does that all mean? I don't know. Did they want to go back and sacrifice animals again? 
He goes, look, you know, Jesus is better than angels and Jesus is better than, you know, Moses. And now he's going to deal with in the next chapter, Jesus is better than Aaron. He's better than all that. So why would you then gravitate back to that where you start to elevate angels and then you start to elevate the the mosaic writings? And now we're even going to start talking a little bit about Aaron. And yet it should be Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I, I just be careful. I think that's a warning not only for you, but for myself as well. Look what it says in verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached. This, this good news of God's rest had been announced. And he's going to allude to this. It was announced to them. You know, it, they were to enter into a promised land. We're going to see this in a, in a minute. But that promised land was not a, a, a place of rest for them. The very first thing they had to tackle when they went across the Jordan River was what? A battle. They had to take on Jericho. And they took on Jericho. God showed them and demonstrated his power. Then the next confrontation they were going to have was with a little, with a little city called Ai. Well, they thought the victory was so grand with Jericho, they didn't even pray about it. And they literally got whooped. Had to go back, start praying again. And that's what God said to him. You didn't even pray about this battle. You just assumed. And a lot of believers do that. They just assume where our final authority should be. What we just read towards the latter part of this chapter. The word of God is sharp. It's active. It's, it gets to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is... Uh, what we bank our rest on. He says to them, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. It didn't profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that, that heard it. Um, again, when it comes to this idea of rest, let me have your attention for a second. Um, rest, peace, um, it's got to be mixed with grace. It's got to be mixed with faith. It's all combined together. You can't separate the two. That's why you see almost an opposite. You need the fear that you enter into as rest. You know, you're going to see that you need the labor to enter into as rest. That's an oxymoron. How do you rest if you've got to labor to get in it? It doesn't, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make sense. And so again, our, our walk, because of, we know the word of God. We know that when we get saved, it starts with faith. Halfway through our work, our walk, it's still faith. Now we're coming to the latter part of our, our journey. It's still with faith. It started with grace where we didn't question it when we first got saved. Then in the middle of our lives, we started to kind of get a little sidestep a little bit. We start to mix the law into it. And then towards the latter part of our lives, you would think we would be saturated with just faith and love and mercy. But it's, it's the opposite because the enemy of our soul has that much time to work on us. Listen. You, you just read some of the, the early church fathers. Boy, some of them would, would go back in time and, and just cling on to the grace and stay away from the law. He says in verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, 
as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. What he's saying here, and he's using again Psalms 95, he's saying um, they, they entered into it, but now they, uh, and it's, oh, listen, it's something that existed before they entered in. He, he promised them a rest with even Moses. He promised that rest to go follow all the way through even their journey wilderness. But he's going to say that that was only going to point to a time period where people really entered to his rest. And you guys are the recipients of that. Listen, there are some things that we do. We choose fear. We, we do. And I think it's part of life. Why do you have car insurance? You have car insurance because you're afraid you, if you get in an accident, you're... You're going to be in, in a lot of tr- trouble, right? Why do, you, why do you keep the speed limit? Why do you obey traffic laws? What are you afraid of? If there's... No, the, the, the law had existed way back before you ever got your driver's license, right? But yet you still have this healthy fear that if you don't abide by the law, you're going to get a ticket. I mean, why do, why do we want to eat healthy and try to live health because we just we just don't want to get a disease so we choose certain fears and they're healthy fears to choose to stay in his rest is a healthy concern what's not healthy is try to labor for it try to labor for his rest and try to labor for his love that's the point that paul is making here you know and you can you can have all your theology you can have all, all, you can be well versed in the Bible, right? And you can have all that, but there's still a healthy fear, and that's always going to remain, hopefully, in your life. He goes on and he says in verse 4 For he spake in certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did, a, did rest the seventh day from his work. Was it that God was tired, folks? No, he was, just, he was done. That's why, that's why he stopped. That's why he was all done, and he sat back, he looked, he said, ah, this is all good. When Jesus said, it is finished, was it done? Why is it now Jesus now can sit on the right side of the Father, even as our high priest? Because it's done. It's, I, I think the best way to, to put it as a Christian, no matter how old you are in the Lord, embrace that. Embrace it, and don't let anyone take it from you. Especially... When it comes to the doubt that the enemy wants to sow in our minds. He doesn't care about you anymore. doesn't love you anymore. You know. Or um, you better start working to earn it. You know. You got to earn this. See, they're the kind of thoughts that, uh, that the enemy tries to sow in our minds. Listen, we're all going to come to a crossroad in our lives. Every one of us will. I guarantee you, I I don't know how old you are in the Lord. I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord. But there's going to always be these crossroads. And when you get there, you're going to get, again, you're going to have to make that decision. Am I going to stay in his rest? Am I going to walk in him, learn of him? He's meek and mild. Take my yoke, learn of me, right? Or are you going to venture off in your own and try to make it happen Yourself, You know, I found a very interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 6. It says this. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the way. It's almost like a crossroad. See and ask for the old paths, whether uh, it is good a good way. Walk therein, and you will find rest for your soul. Imagine Jeremiah. 
But you said, we will not walk. A conscious decision that people will make. Every one of us will come to that crossroad and you're going to have to either say, yes, I'm going to continue in faith. I'm going to continue in his grace. I'm not going to allow the enemy to tell me anything else. I am moving on that straight and narrow way. Look at verse 6 with me. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter uh, therein and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, remember who he's talking to. He's saying, look, all these The first generation that came out of Egypt, they had all these glorious promises. All you had to do is believe and trust. And the very first thing, the very first interaction, oh, Moses, you brought us out here to do what? To die. It would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt where we had watermelons and cucumbers. I don't even know what a leek is. That's what my old king says. Well, whatever it is. It must have been good because they thought, well, if we could only go back there. Let me tell you something. We're always going to have a crossroad in our lives. And you know what the thought's going to be? Man, the old way was better. The old way, man, I remember hanging out. Just think about our BC days. I don't know about you, but when I start to think about it, nah. I don't want to go back there. Not, not for a second. And that's what he's saying. Listen, when they first heard the good news, they failed to enter into his rest. Why? Because of unbelief. Well, how does the Christian fail in unbelief? It's easy. You stop believing in the word of God. You stop believing in the promises of God. As soon as you come to a bump in the road, right away, we start to think, well, God has taken his hand off me or God doesn't love me anymore. No, that's even more of a sign that he loves you and that he has his hand on you. A buddy of mine, Mike, in, out, he has a Calvary chapel, did. He's kind of retired now. Uh, he had somebody working for the church one time, you know, and it was one of these mega churches. And uh, they had hired an accountant to come on full time. And he was actually with the uh, Billy Graham Association. So they thought, eh, you know, good egg to put on staff and all. And so they did, not knowing the guy really didn't know what he was doing. And Mike went away for a, for a, a long mission trip. He comes back and all the money's gone. And Mike is having a breakdown. He calls his pastor up. Oh, Chuck, you don't understand. And he's crying. And Chuck goes, oh, Mike, it's just a bump in the road. <laughs> a bump in the road, <laughs> you know. And of course he survived. Of course they survived. Just like you survived. Everything we go, we go through, every trial, every bump in the road, as it were, it's for a reason. You'll come to a crossroad and you'll have the temptation to question and doubt God. Don't let the enemy do that. You choose to stay on that path that he has given you. Well, that was a long time ago. I got saved in 1973. You know, when did you get saved? It seems like a long time, right? But I always go back and I remember... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Man, it's a gift of God. Amen? And that's where we stay, folks. And that's just, I hopefully, just a word of encouragement. Verse 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after a, a, so long a time as it is said, today 
If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't harden it. He quotes again Psalms 95, 7, and it might warrant me to read it for you. For he said, this is, he is our God. We are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So today, in light of being the sheep from his pasture, today, if you hear his voice, what aren't you to do? Harden your heart. No wonder we tell everyone, guard your heart. Keep your heart safe because out of it flows, right, the issues of life. Everything that stems out of the heart, guys, you're either going to believe in his grace, the totality of the cross, the gospel, or you're going to begin to waver. You come into, again, not to keep beating that, that, that verse up in, in, in Jeremiah again, 6. You're going to come to it, and he's going to ask you to stay on the path deep down inside. That's where that question is answered. Will you? Or will you veer off? Verse verse 80 says, For if Jesus had given them... And and again, remember, the translation comes into play here. He's talking about Joshua here. Remember, Joshua, the Greek rendering for that is Jesus. And so he's saying, Since Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? In other words, what Joshua did was a type. There was another day of rest coming. And by the way, you guys are enjoying that now. Because you got to remember, Moses was a type of the law. He could bring them so far, right? The Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. He had to stop short of the promised land. Just a picture, an allegory, if you will. The promised land, you and I think of the promised land as, you know, full of grace and mercy and, and no more sickness, just Bliss, you know, and that, is that what the Israelites experienced once they went into the promised land? No, they did not. Not by any. Tr- now, they had all kinds of battles afterwards. My point is this. Moses brought them to a certain place, couldn't take them any further. After that, their Jesus, their Joshua had to take them in and carry them the, re- the west, rest of the way through. Verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the, the people of God. A special rest is what it's referring to. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own work or works as God did from his. Let us, there's that word, let us um, labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after this um, the same example of unbelief. Yeah, and you think about that. What rest now is he referring to? The rest that Jesus provides. Our Joshua provides. The law couldn't do it. Joshua can. The promised land is the promises of God. That's where you find your rest. And that's why, again, it's so important to um, know the word of God, to be able to bank on those promises. Or I just saw Erm has a book uh, next to our bed, and it's got 100 promises. And that's all the title is of the book. And I just thought, oh, this. And so I started flipping. And all it is is promises. It's one promise after another promise after another promise. And it's amazing when you start to read those promises where you can say, wow, that promise fits right there. When I was struggling with doubt. Oh, this promise. Oh, when I was struggling in my walk. This promise, all the promises of God, that's your promised land. That's your, that's your rest for right now. There is coming a day, an hour, 
where we will cease from all kinds of labor. That's called heaven, by the way. There, and now listen, this idea, let us labor. It, again, it, it, the word literally means to exert oneself, to endeavor, to give diligence. Now, do you see that? You know, you become a Christian, and okay, you say you love the Bible, you start to read the Bible, but you, there's got to be rhyme reason, there's got to be purpose of why you read the Bible. You, you read it, that, that's what a disciple is. We've been touching on that on Sunday. You want to read the Bible, you want to memorize promises, because again, when, when you're at that point in, in your journey with the Lord, and you're at that crossroad, it's that promise that's going to get you to move straight ahead, and remember the old paths, and just keep plowing ahead. Peter said something like this, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, same Greek word, to endeavor, to exert oneself. Yeah, there is a rest. All the promises are rest. But it seems like it takes an effort on the believer's part to know the promises of God. So when you do enter into the, the bumps on the road, as it were, you stay straight. You stay straight. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick. And it's powerful, or it's alive, and it's powerful. Sharper than uh, any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The joints, the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Let's stop here for just a second. The word of God. I think, by the way, in verse 13, where it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. It's in reference, the language seems to indicate, it's the reference to the word of God. And of course, that takes us back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was, remember that verse in John chapter 1, 1. Then in verse 14, it also calls him the word of God. And then when you read the book of Revelation, as he's coming back, there's things written on his thigh. And one of those things is the word of God. Jesus is that word and the word of God, God, the logos. The word of God is quick. It's alive. That's why it has so much Um, Well, it has an effect on your life. You know, listen, maybe this should be a warning for all of us. If you're reading the Bible, you're doing your devotion, and it's sort of like flatlined, there's no life, I would tap the brakes a little bit and say, why isn't this alive to me right now? Holy Spirit, make it alive to me. The, the Bible is something that's alive, and it's, and it's quick. It wants to deal even with the thoughts and the intent of our hearts. Not, not theology. Theology is good to have. We, I think we should all have a conviction. But it's this living word that is alive, or as my old king, it is quick and it is powerful. Again, that word power is an authority. Did you ever hear somebody say, by the authority that I have in the word of God? Well, you do have authority, but that's not what this, word, this verse means. Or by the, the power, the dunamis of the word of God. Well, I believe the, the word of God is powerful, but that's not what this word means either. It literally means energetic. It means someone who knows the word, the word of God is energetic. It has rhyme and reason behind it. And for the life of me, and I'm trying to slow down a little bit, but for the life of me, I don't get any believer not not having a devotion, not having any um, craving 
for the word. For them just to say, well, I have my fire insurance and um, that's good enough. I'm satisfied with that. They will come to that crossroad. And it could be that they make a wrong turn there, man, without the Bible and without the word of God. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. What does that mean? Well, listen, and most of you know this. It's an old message. But the, the, the Romans used to carry two swords with them. One would range from five feet to six feet long. That's heavy. That, that's a huge. That took a lot of strength. And basically, uh, the maneuver... Uh, the talent is you just got to swing it hard, you know, and you just got to be the first one to hit that. That's that's the, you know, the, the just behind that sword, you know, and maybe you can thrust it quick forward. But three moves, that's it. Whereas the smaller sword was a double edged sword. And the Romans would take years practicing how to use that. It was for close-up battle. It's when those big swords, could, you couldn't use it anymore because the enemy was just right on you. You had to slip that thing in, cut it on the way out. And that's exactly the way the word of God should be handled. It isn't just three moves. It isn't just to, to whack someone's head off, as it were. It's to be deliberately used, skillfully used. And again, if I may, Bible study. Home fellowship studies, your personal devotions, know the promises of God. Just say, hypothetically, I'm going to learn one a week. That shouldn't be hard. One promise a week. Or if you're a, I do a proverb, a chapter a day. I just, Irma and I sit down and we, and I pick out one proverb that I just kind of carry with me. One verse, I mean, for the whole day. And I'll just keep that verse in mind. I'll jot it down. And then... Tomorrow is what? The third? So I'll be in Proverbs uh, 3 and I'll take one verse out of that chapter and I'll try to memorize it. And I just keep sharpening that double-edged sword because who knows? I might have to go in, cutting, come out, cutting. You know what I believe too, by the way? The only ones that can give the reason why they have hope is the ones that know how to use the double-edged sword. Otherwise, you've got this six-foot-long sword, and at best, you're just going to whack someone's head off with it. I know I'm speaking allegorically, but do you, got the, you get the picture? Some people use the Bible, and all they see behind them is carnage. Just a lot of blood and a lot of packed-up people. But the person who knows how to use the Word of God will always be able to give the reason why we have this hope. Why it's important for us to have faith. Why it's important for us to have hope. Why, if I were to ask you, and it's not, an, it's not a test, but let me ask you. Can you give me five verses why you believe in a pre-tribulous rapture? Because the days in which we live, I think the Lord could come any moment. If someone were to come and say, why would I want to believe in a pre-tribulous rapture? Would you be able to tell them? If someone came up to you and said, you know what? I feel like giving up. Well, why? Well, because I just don't have any more energy. I just, I can't memorize any more verses and I can't pray anymore. I am just, see, there's a Christian that's kind of hoping that works gets them in. Do you have enough tools on your belt to be able to show someone the grace of God? See how important it is, Christian, to know your Bible? 
He says in verse, oh no, let me finish off. It's a piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Some have translated that, the soulish part of man and the spiritual part of man. And I think both are, are, are true. You know, the soul is the, the psyche. It's the emotions. It's the way you feel. Usually in the New Testament, that's what the soul means. You know, our depression, soul. Spirit, on the other hand, is our spiritual man, the one... The man that's been resurrected to two to, to life. And I'm sure you know this, but sometimes they oppose each other, don't they? You've got and it doesn't even have to be bad. You've got the emotional part of some someone where you just think, you know, I'm depressed or anger. I am so angry, but you know, you can be angry and sin not. That's the spiritual part. And these two, they mingle together, but without the the word of God. You're just going to keep having collision after collision after collision, not being able to make any rhyme and reason out of why the struggle is going on. The word of God has a way to divide that, to make sense of it all. Why I feel the way I feel and what's the right thing to do. In verse, or continuing in verse 12, the joints and the marrow, uh, Linsky said in his commentary that this usually refers to life. Just that joint. The blood comes from the marrow of the bones. Am I right? You, 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 yeah, that's where the... And you know what? The Word of God is so powerful, so energetic in my life, that it will actually control my life even spiritually. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I believe there are two different things. You know, the, my thoughts, almost like the soul and the spirit. My, my soul and my spirit. I mean, you know, here you've got the thoughts... But the intents of the heart. And sometimes they oppose each other. And again, that's why we need uh, the word of God. Verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. I think again, referring to the word of God. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everything is exposed before him. And again, that is the problem with the legalist. That's the problem with um, um, these Jewish Christians trying to go back into Judaism and making sacrifice for their sin, atonement for their sin through a sacrificial animal. This ver- literally, who are you kidding? Everything is exposed before God. I mean, you can hide something from your mate. You can hide something from your best friend. You can look like the greatest things in sliced bread. I don't know. But God says everything is, is open before him. In fact, this is something kind of weird. That word open literally means, um, it's a Greek word. When the priest would cut the throat of a lamb, they would open it out, so open it up so it would bleed out. That's what he that's the word he's using here, that everything is open before him. And it also means that we are completely vulnerable to him, maybe not to man, but when it comes to God, everything is um, naked and open unto his eyes. Uh, Verse 14, seeing then. Seeing then we have, or that we have, a great high priest. Now, this thought of the high priest is going to go all the way into chapter 5. You know, so again, he is trying to show these readers here, whoever this author is, 
And someone keeps asking me, well, do you think it's Paul? Do you think, who cares who it is? The Holy Spirit wrote it, amen? I mean, I'm not trying to be like Mr. Super Spiritual here, but I'll tell you, every time I think I get it, like, oh, no, this is Pauline, something else I read, and then it's not Pauline. So I think if the Holy Spirit wanted us to know who really wrote this epistle, he would have said, hey, this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not by the will of man or men, but by the will of God, so on and so on. But again, see, we have a high priest. This author is trying to show them that everything they're gravitating back to, they're, they're going back, they're going the wrong way, the right way. They're going back to Moses. And they're going back to um, the, uh, the sacrificial system. And they're going back uh, to Aaron now. And, they're, and he's going to bring it up that our high priest trumps all that. He's greater than all that. And he says one of the reasons is, look at what it says there in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, uh, the Son of God, let us hold fast. That word to hold fast literally means a death grip. You know, like your life depended upon. Let us hold fast um, our, profess, our, our profession. Literally means let us hold fast to the gospel, you know, to all that we have been taught. He's asking them to go back and remember. Remember how God brought you out of that. Don't go back into it. Remember that Jesus is greater than the Mosaic writings. He's greater than the law. He's greater than Aaron. He's the high priest. And sometimes, I think, again, it's all... Laid open, naked, bare before him. He knows that every he knows everything. Um, he knows if we're doing it or not. He knows if we're esteeming something greater than than him. And it can be. It could appear to be something good, but is it taking the place of him? That's a that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Is it taking the place of him? Are you in the same? place with you with with him as you were when you first got saved and if you can't honestly say yes then again as i use that tap the brakes a little bit and start to examine do i love him as much do i read my bible as much do i love talking with him as much will i spend hours with him or am i too worried about this or that am i got do i gotta work to earn something from god for by grace you are what What's grace mean? It's a free gift. Can't earn it. It's undeserved. He says to hold fast to it. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with our, infirm- our feelings of our infirmity. That's one thing you can't tell God. You don't understand. Well, I, he understands. I don't understand. If I'm reading this correctly, that literally, it literally means, cannot be touched with our, with our, it literally means that he has faced every feeling, every trial that you have faced, yet without sin. He, he could never sink because he was the Lamb of God. But he doesn't, I can't wrap my mind around that. How did, how did you feel the feeling of, of, of lust. Now I know that's sobering guys. But how did he feel that? How did he feel the temptation of stealing something? How did he feel the temptation of gossiping? 
How did he feel the temptation of walking away from something he knows he wasn't supposed to walk? How did he feel all that? How did he face all that? See, that's one of those things we're never going to grasp until we're home with him. But it says, you can't tell him he doesn't understand. Jesus understands every struggle, every feeling, every temptation. And with that, he has made a way for us to escape. He says this, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Now those two I kind of can put to the side. But the pride of life, that our Jesus experienced pride. He understands what it means to be faced with that. See, that's why we have such a great high priest. Because he can sympathize. He almost has empathy. There's not one thing that you guys are going through right now where if it, if it requires weeping, he's weeping. If it requires laughing, he's laughing with you. If it requires but fighting the fight, he understands it. He understands what it means to be depressed. He understands what it means to have anxiety. He even understands what it feels like that he wants to quit. If there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me. Say you understand that. And I would challenge you. That God himself would look for a way to escape this. To take my sin on him. He wanted out. He wanted to quit. We'll fail. We'll quit people. We will. We'll drop people on on a dime. But he will never do that to anyone. But he still knows what it feels like. Tell me that doesn't cause you to just fall in love with him more. Or you can take everything to him and say, I know you understand this. And then would you forgive me? He is our great high priest, always making intercessions for us daily. I love him. I so love him. He understands when I want to resign. He understands when I want to walk away. He understands when I'm having a great time. Today was a great day out there in the woods, out there just having a hoot with him. He understands that. And there's old, But there's always going to be a crossroad to where I want to either look left or right. And I'm going to have that temptation to bolt. There's, but there's no option. He'll keep us. Amen, guys? So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That word boldly literally means that we can come... With confidence. You know, I, I hear some, some people pray and, you know, um, they're questioning whether they deserve to come to God. Lord, you know, Lord, I remember hearing this really young guy in the Lord. Uh, Lord, it's, uh, I forget his name. I'll just use, you know, Lord, it's Bradley again. I don't know if you want to hear me or not, but, uh, you know, of course he wants to hear us. He wants us to come to the throne of God boldly. With confidence, knowing that there isn't anything you're going through that he doesn't understand. He welcomes that. And we can come just as we are. Give me a fat amen. Come on, guys. Let us come boldly to the throne of God. That we may what? Uh, uh, Obtain mercy. That word may, as like you might, bad translation. Literally, it means there you will receive. There's no question on his part. You will receive it. You got to get there. Well, what would stop me, Har? And again, I feel like a, a, a broken record. That crossroad that I talked to you a minute about, ago about. 
You come to that crossroad and you start to think God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care. I've kind of forfeited my calling. God doesn't want to have it. That's that crossroad. And he doesn't want you to veer off. He wants you to stay straight ahead, plugging on, keeping your eyes on the promises of God. Because that is the promised land for right now. And that's where we enjoy the milk and honey, the sweetness of God. Because we know the promises of God. And you grow in those promises. So every time the the enemy comes and starts to um, create or doubt and this, the, the word of God, the sharp word of God comes and just cuts those things into pieces. That we will obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in the time of need. There's two different things there, right? Mercy and grace. And we need both. You know, literally the language shows that there's two different things here. Mercy and grace. Mercy, man. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. You know, you deserve Eternal judgment. You're not going to hell because of your Savior. Amen, guys? That's mercy. But when God begins to bestow and begins to lavish His grace and the gifts of God and the Word of God, you begin to get a hunger for God's Word and you you have one of those days, that's grace. It began in grace. It's going to finish in grace. It began with faith. It finishes in faith. From the day you got saved, even daily, from the, the mor- when you woke up this morning, this morning, let us come boldly. I don't dare go into chapter 5. <laughs> Could, I'm tempted. But uh, again, the whole idea for every high priest taken from among men is ordained. We'll stop now. Too much, too much. Remember, guys, as you continue your journey through the book of Hebrews... Just remember, because people will. People bring you into the book of Hebrews and say, see, you can lose your salvation. They've never studied the book of Hebrews. They pull out one verse, two verses, and they try to make everything just based on those two verses. Let me tell you, this was written to a bunch of Hebrews who wanted to go back and sacrifice animals for their salvation. That's why some of these verses are very, very harsh and very forward. Amen, guys? You really want a good... book of the Bible to memorize is the book of Galatians. Let's stand together. Let's pray together as Greg's getting ready. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for grace and mercy, Lord. And at this, on the same hand, we have to endeavor to enter into that rest. Endeavor to read the word, to memorize the word. As it were, to claim the word. Certain circumstances, God, that like you would use the word when the enemy tempted you. Turn, the, turn these stones into bread, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Kneel down and worship me, for it is written, man, worship the Lord thy God and only the Lord thy God. God, you use the word. And ought not we to use the word. I pray, Father, that you will increase our hunger, Father, for daily Bible. God, where we can sit and memorize scriptures and, and um, as it were, sharpen that double-edged sword and skillfully be able to use it, Lord. We commit our hearts to you, our minds to you, God. Keep us, God, 
on that path. And whenever those crossroads come up, Lord, our eyes would be fastened, fixed on the author and the finisher of our our race. Lord, we love you so much, God, and commit our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.